0: Welcome, friends, to Radio Free Muncie, broadcasting from the back of a van somewhere in the Muncie Greater Metropolitan Area, and your source for reviews and discussion of the Knights of the Dinner Table comic, created by Jolly Blackburn, published by Kintzer & Company. So jump onto your Vespa, ride down to the games pit, crack open your dice bag, and grab a character sheet. It's game on.
1: Did you guys see this letter that Sergeant Kong sent? Oh
2: man! Oh yeah, yeah. that's some great stuff in it. It was a great letter. Oh it was yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Everything in it is really. He goes into a lot of the math behind traveling through Bag World and all that stuff.
1: Well, let's kind of let's kind of look through it, right? So starts out, and looks like he's sharing all of his favorite KODT characters. Kind of agree with me, right? Because I said I'd play with Dave and Sarah's Devious and all that, so. Right on. That's cool. He mentions that the writing's gotten better. Yeah, yeah, we agree that it's changed. I don't know if it's better though. I think I think it's different. I think that Jolly's writing is it's become more story driven, but the early strips were really funny for oh, what they God. were. They were just little yeah. short short things, not not like stories. So the writing has changed and I think that was kind of a conscious decision on Jolly's part, right, to write those stories. And then, like the main part of this is just the backwards. Like, dude, I did some math. You like did serious math here, and a uh, lot of information about how armies have to move and historical armies, and it's a pretty interesting, almost an article about how how armies have to move across barren wastelands. You know,
2: I like his comment. He he gives a brian a line that was next in it's 950 miles to bag zone we've got 1800 troops 50 wagons it's a dead magic zone and we're wearing sunglasses yeah <laughs> little Blues brothers right yeah then dave and Bob,
0: it. He, he agrees with you on sarah pretty he's like hey she's she's a manipulative yeah player <laughs> and uh he makes a good point here we don't see her much out of game where I bet she is provoking all this meta
2: game hostility.
0: She's stuck in the <laughs> fires outside of the game. Really? Yes, yes,
2: maybe I wonder if, could be. Hey, Wes, are you sure Tim isn't sending these letters in under a different name?
0: Oh, yeah. Steve is probably going to chat GPT and say, Hey, if I had a friend who was in the Army and he was a Master Sergeant, what would he <laughs> tell me? <laughs> How, yeah if he were agreeing with me how would he frame up a a response to our show you no
1: know, I, I I took the transcript from the whole podcast and I pasted it into chat GPT and said give me a letter that someone <laughs> will write in in response to it but I took all of your guys' dialogue out everything you said and I only put my comments ah that's why this all kind of agrees with with what I was saying <laughs> Yeah. Or, or it could just be that this dude's really smart, and I'm pretty smart, and I was right about my assumptions somehow. So,
0: yeah, that's likely.
1: Yeah, it might be, but anyway, dude, we really love this letter. Yeah, this would be interesting. Maybe we should just put it up on our thing. People want to read it because it, it's 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 a very interesting, like I said, almost an article about about how much water you need and how many horses you would need to haul stuff and then how do you feed the horses like like if you're interested in thinking through logistics problems, uh this is a really
0: good article. Yeah. Uh, so Master letter, Sergeant Master Cone, Cone, if if you're okay with it, we can we can post your letter for folks to 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 go through and and, and see the, the details around the math and everything. There's a lot of good work here, so let us know. Yeah. yeah, oh, What's he said that? he's an army army reservist who's currently mobilized, so he has lots of downtime. That's why.
2: Yeah. Okay, so you can only FaceTime with the family so much before they get bored. But th- but this is great, man. It's like thirteen gallons per horse per day. Like he was, you
1: see, I was just saying, oh, if it was one dude needing a gallon of water a day, this is what it would be. But he like calculated out, well, if you need thirteen gallons per horse, now you got fourteen horses, like you wind up basically needing more stuff than you can carry given the technology. Yeah. Essentially, you know, without any way to replenish or or have a supply line, there's like, it it would be virtually. But so I thought it was really cool. Like, and this is the way, like, like at work, this is the way I think through shit. You know what I mean? Like you just keep on picking away at the details more and more. So I thought this was a really fascinating letter.
0: We've got some exciting news on the show front here. We're driving around Muncie, you're just basically burning gas and wearing this old van out. So this ain't free, and we've already talked about not being monetized and and all that. So Wes got us a job. Thanks, Wes. I still don't understand it. Dice Dash. Yeah, gamers need need materials when you know if you're at home gaming. Hey, you had you know your Hackmaster official number two pencil wore to a nub, and you, you know you need to run out and get some or some uh, Doritos, diet
2: Mountain Dew, some
0: yeah. dice, some new some new dice.
2: Somebody you know, forgot their player's some. handbook, and you need another one.
0: But we just
1: so well we're not we're not hauling like we don't have this the event right. Like we're just we're, go- we're just yeah. getting it from like a game store and it's then like, running it yeah. to, to yeah.
0: whoever. It's like DoorDash except it's
2: for dice game material,
0: Dice Stash. We're gonna start it off tonight with the delivery of some of some dice from the Dice Store to Ball State, so I guess there's some students trapped in the dorms over the holidays. Maybe they couldn't get out to get home with family, and they're you know, playing some marathon game sessions and they apparently need more dice, so we're gonna Help, help these guys out, earn a little cash on the way.
1: Nobody can see me shaking my head because
0: we're not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're here anyway. It's gaming related, too. We're Hey, we're making money in the game industry.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Wow. We're industry insiders now.
2: We are. <laughs> Send us all we're your questions. Able to retire in a few decades.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's like Dave was saying, the the uh, annual salary of game designers twenty thousand a year, every year for the past thirty years, it never changes.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's some people that make some money in gaming, but I think it's a lot of people doing something. Wrong.
2: Yeah, labors of love. All right, I, I think this is the dorm here for the dice. All right, I'll I'll okay. run these in real quick. Oh, I'm not gonna run, but. I'll take these in I was real quick. Say,
0: say, get your cameras out.
2: Watch me trip and fall and crack the concrete. All right, I'll be back in a minute. All right, we we got a bunch of happy gamers in there now with their new dice. Looks like they got a, a cam, campaign going on. It looked pretty fun. They got a bunch of minis set up on their battle mat and. Discovered nobody had any D8s for damage, so I just figured they'd get a bunch of dice. You know,
0: what does Brian say? It's moments like these that make it all worthwhile. (laughs) Or whatever. Anyway, so while you were in there delivering dice for our our first delivery, our first delivery, we got a call from Brian Jelke. He's in town. He's got a little bit of free time. The sixth night. You guys have heard us talk about him pretty much on every show. He's got some free time. He said he's got a couple of hours. We were getting ready to review issue number eight. And uh, obviously he was there when it happened. So yep. <laughs> he can probably give us a lot of cool behind the scenes and give us his take on a lot of stuff. So we're super excited about that. We're going to ride over and pick him up and give number eight, you know, a couple hours of our time here. So looking forward to that. Otherwise,
2: how far away is he?
0: He is over, uh, actually, kind of back near uh, Quality Pallet. There's a Kirby Street Deli. It's it's near a funeral home. If you're familiar with Guller and Guller.
2: yeah, we were over right by there before. Our, yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. Where the uh, night security guy chased us off with a gun. <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, Kirby Street He Said so he's there. We'll run by and you know we'll spend a little time with him. Yeah, and, let's yeah. do it, man. so we're here with the sixth night Brian Jelke word on the street. Rumor has it. You are actually the first subscriber tonight to the dinner table.
3: Uh, That's true. In the early days when Jolly had issue one through three under his belt, he handed us a copy at a convention. He just saw it as a promotional opportunity for everything else he was doing. And i was blown away i sort of viewed it as like it reminded me a little bit of the freak brothers the underground comics like with the style of art and i just thought it was gold so in the in the back of one of the issues there was you know an ad to subscribe and i think i probably mailed him a check that sunday once i got home from gen con and uh, i don't think he ever cashed it
2: So you got an extra 20 bucks in your account then, huh?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Worth it. Worth it at any price. The the six night name was something I came up with. I know you're not supposed to make your own nickname, but I don't know if I was writing a strip or an article or something, but I, I use that like, because the, the lore of nights at dinner table alludes to the fact that they were once a larger gaming group Mm -hmm. than just, people who are currently at the table and so i kind of thought well you know i identify with them quite a bit why can't i be another member so there were five of them and i was like i'm the sixth i'm the sixth night so it was, was like, those
1: four and johnny kaczynski and then you right
0: <laughs> well, well ba
3: well i was counting oh, i B. guess a. i was counting
2: yeah because sarah. sarah would have been B. if you're a part of the backlore sarah would have been after you
1: yeah, I was mixing up the untouchable trio, like the players
3: versus the whole group. Yeah, the whole group is five people. Yeah, right. I was, I was just thinking, uh,
1: I had four in my head, but
3: um. and then I think uh, Richard Gere had a movie called First Night. I don't yeah. remember when that came out. Oh yeah, which was and that that might be how kind of how I uh, thought of that name. If he can be the the first night, I'll be the sixth night.
0: So if you're listening to this episode and you you don't know who Brian Jelke is, get your head out of your ass. Mm-hmm. award well, winning why, game designer, D team guy. Listening? I think we've mentioned yeah. his name like uh, ab- uh, probably about every episode,
1: <laughs> a bunch of times in the podcast. It, it, <laughs> it,
0: it, the most recently came up with Jolly when he when he uh, dropped uh, dropped on us that was it. Five green towels it was originally three green towels or the other way around. Now I get it mixed up in my head. Like, like you had a certain number of green towels, and he changed it to a different number
3: because he thought it was funny. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I think it was originally th- three green towels. He may have changed it to five.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he was like, "Cause five's funnier."
3: That's right. <laughs> he always had to put his little mark on whatever we did.
0: That's exactly what he said. It's. It, he said it was another case of the jolly Blackburn having to put his thumbprint on on everything.
3: Yeah, That's- which is weird though, because a lot of times when when people would send him a strip idea, he'd he'd write it out, you know, and he'd customize it, of course, but he he would often give that person full credit for the strip, even though it was like, you know, they sent in an idea and he really nailed down the dialogue. I don't think he does that anymore. I mean, there's there's probably a lot fewer strips you'll see credited to people other than Jolly, and
2: you know, like the last gosh 10 years of issues yeah with the with the ongoing story arcs he's got a lot of that going around in his head right yeah
1: we notice a lot of that with the the issues we've been going through that like it's just completely credited to to a reader which is pretty impressive i mean most i don't think very many people do that kind of thing
3: you know but, right well and there were many people who would send in full scripts you know like we we published a, a page of blank panels and encourage people to hand write stuff back in those yeah. days the mid-90s and send it in so you know there were people who'd
2: write full dialogue but you know he would always retool yeah it. there's actually one of those uh blank pages in the back of uh issue eight here oh
1: yeah it's been about three probably three or four issues now i think they've been yeah. going up
3: yeah and his Editorial of a madman he was making a plea for content,
1: oh man, like that's every single issue in multiple places yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in the ads in the back and everywhere, yeah, yeah, but it's cool though, because with the because it's like when he's asking for content right, for suggestions, he's also highlighting that they're not just looking for professionals, you know like they're they're looking for new talent or people that wanna yeah. wanna you know. Just do something and see if it sticks, which is pretty cool, you know, to be that accessible.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. He said exactly that in his editorial. New comic strips. It's our hope that eventually KODT will serve as a platform from which new comics and talent will be introduced to our audience. Yeah. So yeah, you're exactly right.
1: Yeah, there was a long there was a long thing in was I think it was like three or something. Yeah, one like of the that, one it? of the
2: first few issues where he's talking about starting something. Like what he wanted it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: but where he wanted it to go and he wanted to be a platform for like n- new game designers and things like that. So yeah, okay. I just thought it was cool.
0: All right. Let's All right. get let's get it started here. Issue number eight orcs at the gates.
2: No Man, this orc is like, by any other name.
0: Oh, shit. I was on the first, I was reading the first, uh, strip.
2: Yeah. Getting ahead of yourself here, it. Wes.
0: Uh, yep. Yeah, sorry. I'll just shat up.
3: This issue had another one of the Jolly's self-made covers. We had issue four and five that he had bought covers for, and we really encouraged him to start doing his own. So we started putting little strips on the covers, but then I think. So, I think six, seven, and eight had his covers. And then with nine, he went back to an outside artist.
2: Yep. Yeah. For uh, being mad, they don't look very mad on the cover.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, (laughs) stock stock art. Yeah. Yeah. The way he did things back then. He's
3: he's evolved massively as an artist since those days.
2: Now, one thing about the cover here Dave is doing the mapping. We do know how that ended up in that. Issue a few issues ago where they were confused and lost and kept falling in the same pit over and over again.
3: Well, it looks, it actually looks pretty good. I mean, it's on graph paper, things are written pretty clearly, but I just noticed that there's some writing on the map. Can you guys read that?
1: I don't know, man.
3: Yeah. I'm, gonna try I'm trying th- to sometimes
1: there are little tidbits like that. I'm trying
3: to get my uh,
1: cheaters out. I see, it's probably something like phone number to a pizza place or something
0: no, i think it does <laughs> well, say level something and
3: yeah it says level something i can't read the word nearest the pencil but the last word is doom let me look in
2: the uh like the name of a dungeon
0: oh the 20 year of covers maybe
2: yeah it doesn't it doesn't have the text over it
0: man that that's such a great freaking resource man that 20 years of covers <laughs> I, i'm delving into that all the time especially for doing the show
2: so there's a small strip at the bottom of the title page where ba's not at the table and bob is telling them to come back and suck it up like a man and we find out from dave that they killed his black or his a uh, slack iron dragon with a chef salad because they've Brian figured out that the dragon was allergic to celery because he also watched Farmer Drake and the Dragon of Elf Isle on PBS New Year's Eve. I want to kind of see how this
1: played out because the wine thing that we were talking about, you know, but how do you get a Swack Iron Dragon to eat a salad and eat a salad big enough so that the celery in it, I don't know about you guys, but my salads don't typically have a ton of celery. So either that was a little dragon (laughs) Or he was really susceptible, or that was a big ass salad that they
0: got into. I think you can't read too much into it. Yeah.
2: (laughs) That's what we do. That's exactly what we do here. (laughs) We read way too much into it. We And you would think the dragon would know he's allergic to celery and check out the salad before he ate it. Of course he would. It's
3: just that it's celery too. Like how would the dragon know he's allergic to celery? Why would he ever try to eat celery?
1: Yeah, he He never would have found out.
3: And how would Brian know that?
1: Well, because Uh, of Farmer Drake, (laughs) who is some kind of dragon farmer. I don't know. His name is Farmer Drake.
3: (laughs) So what if there's a vegan dragon? Instead of taking virgins, he comes and destroys all the crops.
0: Oh, man.
3: (laughs) <laughs> like a giant rabbit.
1: <laughs> yeah, he he eats them. He doesn't breathe fire on them. Right, the giant <laughs> wagon
2: wagon. Or,
0: or, or a dragon with a with a hipster beard that comes and demands all your craft beers.
2: <laughs> yeah, hipster
0: dragon. <laughs> Bring me all You'll, your craft beers. All your IPAs.
1: The other thing I was thinking about with this is that, you know, the joke is that they both watch the same TV show or whatever. Yeah, on PBS. And, well i don't i don't know if it was pbs because it's uh, oh yeah i guess it was pbs yeah yeah. um but it's like there i think there was like a lot less gaming content and like back then or like me like gaming related me like fantasy media and stuff like that that i think that's probably it would make using something from a show like that risky it'd be like it'd be like running a campaign and having highlander tropes in it it's like well, the players are going to know. They're going to know what you're doing,
3: right? But PBS, I think, it had some, in my opinion, cool stuff back in the day. But it's not, you know, one of the major networks. So maybe he, thought, he did think it was kind of a more of a secret.
1: Yeah, maybe he's going to get away with it. Yeah. I mean, Farmer Drake and the Dragon of Elf Isle, was that a PBS kind of thing? I always thought of PBS as being more news and documentaries and stuff. but i guess they did have
2: they did have oh uh, yeah they, they have music yeah. on her quite a bit my mother always watches all that stuff or i think they have like fictional shows that, and down there.
0: mabby come on now
1: down guys, yeah yeah, yeah, down yeah mabby. never mind i don't Master know what i'm talking
0: masterpiece about.
1: theater <laughs> oh masterpiece theater yeah, yeah.
3: But i think that's a theme that jolly has come back to again and again like using either real life or some other art form and adapting it to your role playing game. You know, like a a cool map you saw somewhere. Hey, I'm gonna make this into a dungeon. You
1: know? Or 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 when Dave turns his house into a dungeon. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
3: So now (laughs) he's come back to that theme.
1: There are two chariots in this large room. (laughs) All right. So an orc by any other name. Yep.
3: Oh, you mentioned the strip on the title page. There's also a strip under his editorial. It, uh, having reread it, well, uh, George, I'll let you do it, but I, and I'll tell you why one of the reasons I think it's funny. Oh, okay.
2: Go ahead. Um, Brian has got a cardboard box over his head. And when Bob asks him, Dave says it's his box of shame. He had challenged a GM's rule interpretation at a tournament and was wrong. So he's like, leave me alone. Let me wallow in self pity. I deserve it. I am nothing.
3: <laughs> Sarah says we still love you, Brian. <laughs> but that—that that is so rare that when Brian Van Hoos was wrong about a rules call, so it's like the, you know that really is a big deal for him that he's ashamed of it. That has always been a, a theme through so many issues that he's just an expert player and knows every rule ever published. Yeah, even he's always got some angle. It's—it's it's really shocking that this happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he even knows all the hack jur- all the Norman Bowser hack journal. Yeah, he not only knows
1: the rule, he knows specifically who wrote yeah. each rule, apparently.
2: <laughs> or BA makes a call on something. Oh, sorry, BA, but in the hack journal that uh, arrived in the mail yesterday says, has some official errata on that.
3: His dialogue, last sentence saying, I'm nothing, like that's how he derives his self worth by being an expert in Hackmaster. And if he failed once, he feels like he's he's nothing he's really a uh, good window into Brian's personality there yeah definitely oh yeah i think
1: he is an expert on everything kind of he seems like the kind of guy that's really never wrong is he or th- at least in his own mind he's never yeah. wrong. little bits of
3: trivia here and there for sure
2: so we got a letters right, section well, where the readers talk back and the first one is is kind of a an ongoing theme that we see from viewers it's why don't you just admit it you've got a camera hidden my living room and all your stories are based on my group i'm sure jolly has heard that a thousand times
3: that's been a theme over and over again in the comics and one of the things that strikes me about that is i've been to germany quite a few times the essen game convention and people over in europe feel the exact same way which i was amazed at you know it's just a a common the gamer experience is a common element of humanity, regardless of what language you
0: speak. That is cool. <laughs> I, I would not have thought that. I would have figured it would have been, you know, lost in translation somewhere. But no, that's awesome.
2: Yeah. Nice. And uh, the letter, yeah, that's what I was going go uh, to go to. Really
3: special for me. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of brought it. To- I forgot that one was in this issue.
2: A guy, the little boy. Guy and his son stopped by the Kinser booth at a con and talked to a couple of nice guys and ended up being Jolly and uh, Brian Jelke, designer of the Monty Python and Holy Grail CCG, among other things.
3: Well, yeah, we were at this convention in Calgary and, you know, the con, I think it might have been like their first year and it was in a pretty big hall. It was at the Stampede Grounds, which was part of Calgary's Olympic venue. And, you know, this guy wandered by with his kid and it was like, like, well, we got nothing better to do. Let's just talk up this kid and see what he likes. Gave him some free stuff. Because I was old, like, man, you know, when I was a kid or even as an adult, I love getting free stuff. I guess it really had an impact on this guy. So and, and hopefully the kid. I, I'd be curious, Mike Bannon, if you're out there <laughs> from Medicine Hat Canada, let us know how you're doing right in again. Tell us what's going on with you and your son. I'd love to hear from you. I get
1: what he's saying though, man, because the a lot of the vendors don't uh, want to talk to anybody. Yeah. If you're not buying, they don't want to talk to you. Yeah, I mean that's not always true, but in a lot of cases it is. Yeah. Even for some of the big names, you know. Yeah, I think the big ones, hey, I, a lot of them are worse than the most. I had a question though, since we've got you here, Brian. What does kiss the fish? mean <laughs> if you see us at a con stop by and kiss the fish have a spam sandwich and chase the $20 bill on string i get the second two
3: so the this was uh this came out what in like june oh uh yeah june
1: 1997 did you no, look that up or did you just remember that
3: no i had just looked at it today <laughs> oh, okay i was gonna, gonna say holy shit. issue but you know, there's this Gamma trade show that occurs every March, basically. And I think that year we were at one down in Miami, and it was really a dead show. There just weren't very many retailers there. So it was the kind of show where you're basically just talking to other gaming companies. And to kill some time and have some fun, we cooked up this trick with $20 bill on like a piece of string or fishing line or something. And so people would see it land in the middle of the hall. And, you know, like if it's a dollar, you you might ignore it. A $20 bill is definitely worth most people's time in 1997 to bend down and pick up oh, even yeah. in Twenty three. So we we fooled so many people with that. They'd bend down to pick it up and you pull the string and they pulled, oh, maybe it, it blew away and they <laughs> reach for it again and it, it it gets pulled away again. And the funnest part about that, we got Charlie's old partner from Alderac Entertainment Group, I won't say his name here, but that was quite a fun little practical joke we played on him and many others there. So that's what the, the $20 on a, a string refers to. And the the spam and the fish refer to Monty Python the Holy Grail. You know, we had come out with that not too long after this, or, or not too long before this issue came out. And... So Spam, you know, it was just kind of a Monty Python thing. They had this song about Spam. But then we also had a, a little plastic, like eight-inch herring, eight-inch fish ah. at the convention that was like one of our Monty Python props, okay. along with little Holy Grails and coconuts and things like that we'd keep on the table as we were selling the game. So again, just fooling around when people would come up and they'd be interested in the game. We we would ask him to kiss the fish. <laughs> just, just being goofy and to see if they would. And some people did, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I believe it. Well, yeah. <laughs> that kind of became a mantra or something. Kiss the fish. So, so the fish was like a fish from nights of meat.
1: They had to cut down the mightiest oak in the forest
3: with a herring. <laughs> yeah. Seen that movie about yeah. a million times.
2: My son actually has a set of those coconuts that Jolly gave him several years ago when we, case a ride to gary con.
3: yeah every year back then before the con we'd go to the grocery store and hollow out a few coconuts and bring them as props and then give them away or some people like if we're down to our last pair sometimes we wanted to keep them because you know we we like to uh, bang them together to attract people to the booth and then some people wanted them so bad they ended up buying them off us so we're like, all right, yeah, five, 10 bucks or something for a coconut. I sure. Okay. Nice. we' <laughs> so coming with more every year in case we could sell some. <laughs> the little holy grails we had, we had these little wooden cups. We'd sell them again, probably like five, 10 bucks or something. And then we we're down to our last one and I wanted 15 for it. And the guy was like, oh, I don't know. That's, it's really steep, but I got to have this.
2: <laughs> nice. All right, so that brings us to our first strip.
3: Oh, before we do that, I want to say something else about the uh, reader mail page. There's an ad on the bottom for people to come to our forums that were on AOL. AOL. That was the rage in the mid-90s, America Online. And the HTTP is an AOL site, but it's also the name RELKIN slash kenzerco.html Relton was the name of one of Steve Johansson's characters in our game one of his kind of major ones that got to pretty high level
2: had you guys switched over to second edition at that time? Uh,
3: yeah we definitely had and you know obviously Hackmaster hadn't really been conceived at that time but we were playing with second edition rules and some house rules (music) you <music>
2: Do you need information about a 40-year-old game now? Then you need to listen to the Save for Half podcast, the podcast dedicated to talking about some of the oldest games out there. We make sure that you get your old-school gaming information piping hot in under an hour or your money back. Old-school gaming is a division of Old Men Screaming at Clouds. Old Men Screaming at Clouds is an affiliate company of old ladies
0: talking to cats and wholly owned by the Mud Puppy Games Network. Has this ever happened to you?
1: Okay, Tommy, you need to roll a 12 to hit and save the party's bacon.
0: With my bonuses, that only makes an eight, baby. Oh geez, a six. Ah! Don't leave critical rolls to chance. When your party is counting on you, wield the best. Choose Black Oak Workshop Dice and Accessories. With over 175 products, the family-owned and operated Black Oak Workshop's thematic and innovative designs will jazz up your game. Let's try that again, Tommy, with dice from Black Oak Workshop. Oh, Draco Lynch, D20, don't fail me now. Natural 18, baby, take that foul beast.
2: The lone
1: kobold succumbs to your relentless assault. The day is won.
0: Black Oak Workshop, official dice maker for Radio Free Fremontcy. Home of the original adventure calendar, Black Oak Workshop, where dice are treasure.
1: Ask your game master about the 5% experience point bonus when using Black Oak Workshop dice and accessories. Side effects for Black Oak Dice may include angry dungeon masters, more critical hits, shorter combats, increased envy levels from gaming friends, excessive boredom from too much winning,
2: All right. So, Orcs at the Gates. A little trivia. There's a board game called Orcs at the Gates involving the knights made by Jolly Roger Games. A lot of people assume that it is a Kenzer product, but it is not, especially with Jolly as part of the name of the company.
1: Oh, well, I always thought it was I always thought that was a Kenzer
3: board game it, it was licensed right. from us by jolly roger games
2: oh. and there was one expansion or at least for it as well those things go for big bucks on ebay and less known was a Hackmaster campaign ran by our own tm a few years ago that he was calling orcs at the gates
1: <laughs> yep yep and there were actual orcs
2: <laughs> yep all right, so this opens up where uh, BA is at the Games Pit. Uh, it looks like CattlePunk 2nd Edition has just arrived. And there's a sign in the window that VIC-20 software is on sale, 70% off. Probably- is a VIC-20, that's not even a, is that a real computer?
1: Yeah.
3: Commodore VIC-20, yeah. It is a yeah. Commodore,
1: yeah, I was. I saw it, I knew what they were talking about, but I, I wasn't sure if that was an actual yeah. one. Yeah,
3: and, and in 1997, you know, that was a good... 10 years old at least.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I got my back then. I think you either got the Vic 20 or the C64. A lot of people went for the C64. So it's funny. It's funny that that Pete would would have the Vic 20 because in, in my mind, it's almost like a Betamax. Type. Yeah.
2: Right. We have the, less, the less popular one. <laughs> and he's got maps for the steam tunnels under Ball State University, which just seems like it
1: should be illegal like they've had nitro blew the place up once and they bob got lost and and he he's selling he's selling
2: maps and my favorite of the signs in the window was dice rental service
1: <laughs> yes people are gonna run out right. to the game store <laughs> dice.
2: Well, anyway ba's in there and uh, weird pete is telling about this uh Huge campaign set, orcs at the gates.
1: Well, he starts out with "trust me." Yeah, for first, anybody, yeah, first line. Anybody that st- starts out with "trust me," like you don't trust them, right? <laughs> and when it's and when it's weird, Pete, you don't trust him anyway by default. <laughs> so if he says "don't trust me," like run for the door, man. This will be the
3: yeah. The early days, uh, Pete comes off as kind of a dishonest scammer here but i you know i think the long term he's really had the the interest of the community at heart hosting events in his store and stuff i mean the guy's been at it for so many years respect to pete yeah but i love the line in the last panel on the on the first page of the strip where he says why do you insist on stripping down every potentially life-changing decision?" And those those potentially life changing is is bold and bigger font. Why do you insist on stripping down every potentially life changing decision into monetary terms again? Bolded and larger font. So it's kind of like he's you know belittling that he's even worried about money yeah. here because this is going to change his yeah, life. Ninety dollars, yeah. <laughs> eighty
2: nine ninety nine for a two thousand sixty four page adventure. Boy, I- George,
1: before you keep – like, the thing is, and he's belittling the idea of putting it into monetary terms, but he knows it's not even going to be BA's money. It's his mom's credit. Right? Yeah. (laughs) I thought Pete was a pretty, pretty skillful salesman in that last frame there.
3: (laughs)
2: David, you're right, Pete. This
3: goes on – he describes the setting hordes of orcs to setting upon civilization. Nothing can stop them. Nothing but the small band of adventurers who belly up to your dinner table. Think of the glory. Think of the adrenaline rush as sword meets sword and the bloody orc war mages batter at the gates. You'd give it all up because the price tag seems a bit steep. And,
1: yeah. and the funny thing is, I mean, we find this out later in the, in the comic. I don't want to get too far ahead, but it's really not that at all. Right. Yeah. Like, Or or unless B.A. is just truly, truly the worst.
2: Well, (laughs) you got to look at what the Knights do when we get there, too. But then the very first panel on the next page, right after B.A. leaves with it. Game and dick. Guess what? I just don't know that piece of crap works to Gates. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, have
1: you guys ever? This is a serious question. Have you guys ever bought, like, a mega dungeon type thing? and looked at it, and, like, it was really good. Like, like where they're selling it on the size,
3: and they're like, oh, it's all, and it's, like, re- really good. I, I, I've i never bought, like, a mega dungeon. I've bought probably, like, a 64-page setting slash adventure that I thought was really good, actually, was Undead by Mayfair Games.
2: I have that on my shelf.
3: Yeah. But that was 64 pages. not Yeah. <laughs> That <laughs> not, not, yeah, two hundred, not a box set or anything like that. But one of the things I love about Weird Pete's little speech is, I think he uncovers there something that keeps us coming back to gaming year after year. Is that you really feel like you're in the action. You feel like you're you're tense after you leave a big battle like that or a gaming session. You know, you could feel the the sweat and the nerves if the if the game master is doing his job right. And you feel the glory, you feel the victory when you win. So I, I think Jolly described it really well there through the words of Weird Pete.
0: Yeah, I remember. I think see, I think the biggest kind of mega dungeon I have ever purchased, just thinking of strictly dungeons, was probably the Extended Ruins of Undermountain. I think there was Ruins of Undermountain one and two right. that, and those those were pretty good. But but uh, otherwise I don't. I don't think anything big now, unless you count well, these yeah. new Goodman games like this. Yeah, uh,
2: no, that's not a mega dungeon.
0: That's not a lot of. That's that's not. Well, I don't know. They they did some treatment to the Lost City. Now, come on. Mm.
1: They added. I some mean, I, Jolly's obviously. I mean, this is satire. I don't think there were too many, if any, two thousand page two thousand any gaming material no. back, especially back then, right?
2: But, uh, I even think nowadays, the biggest one I've seen that's in one book was like 900 pages.
1: Well, like Rap and Ethic is like
2: that. Yeah, that's... A, it's,
1: it's like 900 pages yeah. or 750, I think, in the book. And I, I've been running that for a long time. And I mean, I don't want to slam it. It's good, but it's not as good as, you know, like, Brian, like you're saying, a 64-page really tight big adventure it doesn't need to be 800 pages right like and i think at a certain point you're just trying to say how big it is so you're just putting whatever you know that's kind of what i'm getting at like anyway yeah no agree. to think that you're going to take something like that off the shelf and just run with it is
0: yeah Yeah, sometimes
2: definitely less is more
0: right absolutely so um and of course
1: it sucks because weird Pete confirms that in the next
2: yeah exactly Thought he's going to get sucked on that one. Then a month later, apparently, being so, it takes
0: him a month. Yeah. To, he gets through 2,000 pages in a month.
2: That's actually pretty damn good. That's yeah. five-
1: Well, he probably had to paint minis and make terrain and digital battle maps. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, he yeah,
0: he gave it to Steve Lawrence treatment.
1: There you go. No, actually, you know what? In my in my Saturday campaign, we've been playing basic D anD. D like Redbox edition. And I'll tell you what, it's really nice to just sit down. No minis, no maps, no nothing, no digital bullshit. Just sit down and start playing. Like, I don't have to do any prep. I don't have to do any more prep than the players. I realized I kind of missed that. Like for some good days, that idea, you know, of just a really simple, no prepping time kind of game. Cause yeah. DMs, I think these days, their job's a lot harder than it used to be. You know? Anyway, sorry. Sorry for that little side bunny trail.
2: So BA apologizes and thanks them for uh for waiting and lets us know they're gonna be uh going through orcs at the gates. Of course everybody immediately is like, orcs, are you kidding me? Yeah, sometimes they run away when you try to attack them. <laughs> and the rules lawyer, Brian, yeah, they've got the uh, worst experience point ratio in the entire creature folio. And then BA uh, tells them, you know, this isn't a simple dungeon crawl and all this stuff. It's going to be epic. It talks about cults and religions and different languages and dialects. And then, Bob, favorite line on the page, politics,
1: language. There's a couple of big
2: red flags. That can only mean one thing. He expects us to parlay instead of hacking. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. so we know where this is going to go. This is going to go the typical
2: Untouchable Trio way. So it opens up. They go into the uh, King's Throne Room because he's going to give them the big adventure hook. And everybody bows. Of course, Bob uh, Knuckles bows to nobody. I'll just give him a nod. He'll understand.
3: I I like that he describes it as a knowing nod.
2: (laughs) Like
3: he knows we're we're tough guys too. Yeah. I I don't have to bow to him. A knowing nod. Then Dave repeats it. He says, I give the king a knowing nod as well. He has no idea what that
2: is. (laughs) (laughs) He he, he pats the pommel of his hackmaster plus 12 just to know he's willing to back it up.
1: Well, and and what this is really doing is it's implying that they're equals to
3: the king. You know what yeah. I mean? That's, and that's exactly what they're trying to do.
2: <laughs> nope. Or Sarah bows, and Brian's like, "Hell, did I do a real quick bow."
3: Right. I, I bow, but I don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Technical <laughs> bow.
2: You know, and
1: and this is this is something like kind of you know when we talk about like that core gamer experience, that shared gamer experience. I'll tell you what, if. if if I want to start a fight with in one of my games, all I have to do is have any NPC demand anything at all from the players. Like they can insult them in a minor way, they can they can tell them they have to pay a tax, like th- they just hate the idea, they just hate the idea that like an NPC is forcing them to give something up. And even if it's just respect. You know, even if it's just that being able to be like, I'm the toughest guy in the room, do whatever I want.
3: Dave Kensler does the same thing in the low-level days of our campaign. We got shaken down so many times by Calamaran guards and soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> it be like a dozen of them, and they'd want us to pay a fee or a bribe or a tax, or whatever they called it, and there were too many of them. And then eventually we got the crazy idea that we'd start fighting back and became outlaws. I'm, I'm
1: surprised you didn't make a list and hunt spend the whole rest of the campaign hunting them down one at a time to kill them for daring to do their job, yeah. <laughs> you
3: know? Oh, it wasn't their job. They were just shaking us down. Cause they could. Oh, I, I, yeah. And I mean, just like, like it could be,
1: it could just be any, it could be anybody that like tells the players what they have to do. Yeah. And like, it, they just don't want to do it sometimes, you know? And, I mean, how many of these strips start out like this where they have to bow in front of somebody? And like, ah, f- that I'm not bowing.
3: I kind of threw it back at Mr. Kenzer recently, though, in one of our games. I, I've got a character who's got a really high fame value, and I, I play that for all it's worth. And there was a, a monster that was trying to surrender to us. I think he was a hobgoblin or something. And we said, okay, but say my name. Oh. And, uh, surrender. and they, rather than do that, the guy's. Like screamed at you and Brett tried to run away, so we shot him. He was and like <laughs>
1: he refused to. He refused
3: to say my name.
0: <laughs> was a guy? Was it like Heisenberg? You damn
3: No, right. It's, a, it's a bromide iron.
0: Oh, dude, that's a famous character. Dave talked yep. about him. That's like an original, like campaign character from like years and years ago, right?
3: Before Hackmaster, yeah, he's been converted to D and D and then converted to Hackmaster. Man. That's cool. Sure. I mean, when I say converted DD, I mean third edition. Nice. So he was a second, he started as a second edition character.
0: Yeah, Dave mentioned that character when we spoke with him. That's cool. And his
3: hackmaster fame is like 125 or something like that. Oh, man. Oh, he's wow. like Taylor Moan, Swift, known across the continent. Yeah.
2: All right. So they refuse to bow. B.A. gets all pissed. He's like, Look here, you morons. Oh, hell no, you look here, you morons. The whole adventure hinges on winning over the king's confidence so that he charges you with thwarting the orc invasion. And what do you do? You insult him. Right in his own court. Oh, oh, okay, so
1: is Bob and Dave really the problem here, or is BA the problem? This is like a pretty serious escalation. He could have just moved on, right? But no. No, he can't.
3: Yeah. I I think BA is pushing their buttons for sure. It's like you just said, if you know as a game master, if you want to start a fight, you treat the characters that way, right? Yeah. So. Like he's acting
1: like he wants them to do what they're going to do in a sense. And and I mean, you know, I joke a lot about, I don't know how much you've listened to the podcast in the past, but I joke a lot about BA being a bad GM. Yeah. I'm actually kind of always going back and forth. Like, is he doing this on purpose, or is there some secret ulterior manipulation he's doing? Because,
3: like, well, you could argue it either way. You know? I, I think he wanted them to capitulate and railroad them into the plot and and use the campaign setting. But I think he was foolish to expect that. Yeah, to happen. exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. right. If, if he doesn't know his so group you, by now, there's something wrong with him. Right. So, but
1: so you you think this is kind of like. He's he's so desperate to just follow the campaign that he's going to f- he's going to escalate this to force it on him. Right. He doesn't want to go off script, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. No, that that makes sense. I mean, he did he did basically start
2: start crying. Well, no, that's later.
1: Never <laughs> mind. <laughs> I'm getting the order mixed up that the strips happened.
2: So, uh, Ba has uh, Eric the Brave, the king's first knight, step up and says, "You know, you unknowingly offend us, which we can understand since you're strangers. But those who do not bow and pay homage, the penalty is death."
1: Oh, well, dude, there's no way they're gonna go along. With it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like that no right, no, that right there just ruined any chance of them going along with it.
0: Oh,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: The the campaign,
1: Ba just ended the campaign. Yep. Yeah, he, he just guaranteed that they're going to kill every, you know, and, and honestly, I can kind of relate to this. I, I know, like, there are video games I've played, and I'll, I'll be, like, a 50th level murder bot that could, like, slaughter anything. And there will be some whoever talking trash to me, and there's nothing I can do about it because it's not a non-combat zone or something. Because they do it to prevent exactly this, like, being able to just slaughter everybody because you were slighted, you know?
2: So, 30 minutes later. Okay, Bob, you make your way to the main gate. The king manages to break the chokehold and dies behind a flaming banquet table that was toppled by Brian's fireball. So, it,
3: So Bob not only has the king in a chokehold, but it looks like he was trying to keep him as a yep. hostage and get out the yep. main gate with him or something like
2: that. Oh, man. And it looks like the day the killed uh sir eric the brave because he's looting his body looking for some cool stuff yeah and he's a loser because he only has his
1: royal chain of office and
3: armor that's that's a good one-liner yeah that's a great line yeah this is royal enameled armor and his royal chain of office what a loser what a
1: loser
2: (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't have any coins man (laughs) and an hour later they're going to hock the stuff. You pull the king's crown and scepter and show it to the pawnbroker. And he turns ash white. You're the scum that killed the king. Guards! I, I think this dude is pretty brave, though,
1: honestly. Like, yeah, to call him out? He, like, right in their face, they call him out. Wait a minute, you're the, you guys just killed everybody in the castle, didn't you? <laughs> now I'm
0: going to turn you in. Yeah, the funny thing is, they go to the pawnbroker. <laughs> yeah.
1: Probably in the village at the bottom of the hill where the castle is. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) They just like literally walk down the hill to sell it.
3: (laughs) It's like if you stole the crown jewels out of the Tower of London and then brought it down the street to a a (laughs) pawnbroker.
2: Yeah. And
1: And then they complain about how much money they got. Like, come on.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Dave torches his shop. Brian chases customers out in the street and tosses fireballs at them. And Bob
3: poisons the yeah he, the, with the with dagger. poison dagger
2: how
1: powerful are these characters in ba's campaign like i i think this often in and, and again when he tries to resurrect the orcs of the gate campaign later like
3: man like they must be really yeah he didn't, he didn't know about the beggar mob rules yet i guess but you know <laughs> brian's throwing fireballs around like they're I don't cotton candy or whatever. And Dave has his Hackmaster plus twelve, Well, he's kind of unstoppable to normal humans.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, and that's what I mean. Like, damn, how powerful these guys! I mean, this king, this king was powerful enough that when they walked into his court, like forty horns blew and everything. So he's clearly somebody, and he doesn't have any. He doesn't have any people, or there's nobody in this town that can even. Stand up to these guys at all? I mean, they they've, they've got to be immensely powerful yeah. to to do at well, the beginning a, of the campaign
3: too. Too if the ba is angry that the campaign is trashed, but he could have continued it. You know, he could have tried to feed them some other hook and got them involved with the orcs somehow. I think, and then they just wouldn't have this kingdom to go back to to heal up and split up treasure and stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in theory, he could keep it going, but that, that was actually something I, that was a note I made later on, like with BA. Cause like I said, I go back and forth all the time. Like, is he like a master GM or a shitty GM? You know, and I'm starting to think that it's not so much that he's like how good he is at handling the game or whatever. It's that he seems like if it's written down, whether it's something he bought or it's his notes or his, whatever, like he's gonna stick with it. Like he can't go. He can't go off script at all. Right. Right. You know. So if he has time to plan and he can control the situation, like it. It's like man, he's reading their minds. But as soon as it goes off, like you know, one degree off target kind of thing, it just spins out of control and is. Yeah,
3: they' they go on to talk about what are how he got ripped off yeah. having blown ninety bucks. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I love Dave's line. I thought this adventure was supposed to
2: be all about orcs. We didn't run into a single damn orc. orc. <laughs> <laughs> Even after BA told that, you know, the king was going to send you after the orcs. Right. And Brian's little comment, can't believe I only got 75 quid for that crown.
3: Well, they went to a pawnbroker. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
1: In, in a town small enough that they could slaughter the whole thing in about three hours.
3: Well, and the, the first pawnbroker turned them in and ended up dying for oh. it. And they eventually found someone to buy it, it sounds like, for 75 coins or whatever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? From so, somewhere because they killed yeah. somebody, everybody three times. Somebody,
3: somebody eventually bought it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, did you, did you notice, though, when Ba's on his rant? They, they massacred the good citizens of Fern Forks. Grand Falls and Hevington Hills. So they went from town to town. Yeah. Yeah. Slaughtering the entire
3: town. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just the, the Maiden Kingdom.
1: Yeah. It wasn't like they they took out the castle and the people right there, you know.
3: They took out three towns.
2: And it closes out with BA looking pissed off at Pete. Hey, how'd the game go? Why are you looking at me like that? Well, it's not. Pete's no I mean you know but But at least he unloaded that piece of crap yeah yeah yeah
0: we will put a pin in this and pick it back up on the flippity flop the flippity flop thanks for listening to Radio Free Muncie If you have a comment, you can leave it at our anchor site or you can email us at radiofreemoncie at gmail.com. See you next time.